We've got a loose cannon here. Around a bunch of money, and the other party is out his product. Yes, sir. This account will give up $1,200 in any 24-hour period. That's up from 1000 If your expenses run higher, I hope you'll trust us for it. Okay. Just how well do you know Shigur? What do you want to know? I just want to know your opinion of him in general. Just how dangerous is he? Compared to what? The bubonic plague? He's bad enough you called me. Yeah, he's a psychopathic killer, but so what? There's plenty of them around. Killed three men in Del Rio Motel yesterday and two others in that colossal goat fuck out in the desert. We can stop that. Seem pretty sure of yourself. You've led something of a charmed life, haven't you, Mr. Wells? In all honesty, I can't say the charm has had a whole lot to do with it. Hello, folks. Welcome to City Beef Podcast. I am one of your hosts, uh, Gary Hill. With me tonight is Iris. Hello, hello. How you doing? I'm doing good. I mean, just literally minutes from signing off at work. <laughs> oh, that's nice. One of those days. Man, I get to babysit grown folks at 5 o'clock in the morning. That, that's uh, that's the joy oh, of my fun. life, yeah. Are you coming to work today? Are you? No? Okay. You know. Um, <laughs> That's fun. Oh, yeah, it is. It definitely is. Um, Suzanne, a lot of ums in there. I apologize. For that. Suzanne cannot be here tonight. She is um, down with the sickness, as they say, but she's getting better, people. So don't worry. She's just hacking up stuff and having a hard time Poor to sleep. Thing. But she, she, she's doing better. So I spoke to her today. So, But in her place, well, he was going to come on anyway. And um, we're blessed to have him. The hardest working man in podcasting, and I'll say that with confidence, uh, from the projection booth, Mike White, how you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, for sure, man. You're, you're always welcome, you know. I appreciate it. Um, in case people have been living under a rock for the past, I don't know how long you've been doing the show, <laughs> tell the folks what the, what the projection booth is, please. Uh, it is a weekly podcast where we look at pretty much one film and... Just try to talk about as uh, in-depth as we possibly can, put in context. If we can talk with people that were related to the film, directors, writers, stars, production managers, any of those kind of things we try to. Eh, it doesn't always work out, but, you know, that, that's what we do. And I've got a rotating uh, cavalcade of uh, characters that come on as co-hosts, including uh, yourselves. So it's been great having you on the show here and there. And uh, you guys are always welcome as well, though I tend to plan out way in advance so we can look at look forward to 2023 right on okay yeah noted <laughs> yeah i'll start the show the same we always start the show and i'll ask our guest mike uh what you've been watching lately sir well uh i've been watching obviously a lot of stuff for the podcast uh and then for whatever reason this has been a, an interesting time um but uh, I have been asked to be a, a guest host on a few other shows. So I've been watching those uh, films as well. I was just on one recently where I talked about uh, Odd Man Out, the Carol Reed film from 47, and then the remake uh, or adaptation of the same story from 69 called The Lost Man, which I had never even heard of before. It was a Sidney Poitier film. And then, um, yeah, I've been watching some crime movies, Asphalt Jungle, the movies we're talking about tonight. And last night I watched a really terrific Japanese time travel film called Beyond the Infinite Two Minutes. So if uh, that comes to a theater near you or on demand or anything, definitely check that one out. Oh, cool. Iris? Um, Again, just trash TV, man. You know, <laughs> below decks, I, Wow. It's just, you know, hookup boat is basically what it should be called. Um, and then I did a watch. Um, I started watching Vigil, which is extremely good. It's a crime scene. A cop gets put on a submarine and she needs to figure out why somebody got killed or why somebody ended up dead. <laughs> and then they go to war. So, yeah, that, that's really fun. And then uh, The Falling with Gillian Anderson started that and um i binged totally binged manhunt the unabomber Ooh. and that was on netflix and amazing i, I sat there for eight hours watching the whole thing because it was just that interesting so totally recommend that one besides that i think uh yeah that's pretty much it yeah i've been watching a lot of stuff because I, I i watch stuff at work while, while i'm working and 
I still listen to the podcast sometimes because, you know, I, I catch up on things. And I caught up on two, I guess, of the hottest shows that are out there, which is Book of Boba Fett on Disney+. Oh, yeah. Plus, and people are mixed on that. I, I happen to like it. I'm loving it's, it. Yeah, it's, 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 it's really in between. And but one, people are kissing its ass all over the place. And I'm, I'm a James Gunn fan, you know, mind you is this Peacemaker show, which is the John Cena character from the Suicide Squad. And I I, I think it's kind of dull, and it's a lot of vulgarity for no reason. It, it's just it's just kind of there. I, uh, fourth episode is out. I always give it the four-episode swing if I'm going to keep it going. So uh, I'll see where it's going to go. Because like I said, I'm a James Gunn fan. I don't, I don't want to be, you know, disappointed. But I don't want to keep on watching, too, and not have a good time with it. And... I, I think uh, John Cena in the Suicide Squad movie, he was there for small doses, and I think he works better that way, not as a lead character. It just um, He's very commanding. I, I'm a wrestling fan, and I've watched him in the ring. He, he has microphone skills, but he is an actor. He's not all that great because he's just doing the same character over and over and over again, but with different, you know, uh, I don't know how to explain it. I love John Cena and I hate John Cena at the same time. Put it that way. Show. <laughs> uh, charismatic guy. It's like it's like The Rock. You know, he grew up in the business, so it, it, it's oh, yeah. it's insane. You know, and and, and and not surprising what he can do. Um, movies. Uh, I did this thing now where I I, I post a letterbox. I can remember what I watched, so I'll name a couple of them. One of my watch was a film called Double Tar- Double Target from 1987, which is uh, directed by. <laughs> Two titans of Italian shit cinema, Bruno Mattei and um, there you go. C- Claudio Fragasso. It's it's basically like a Rambo ripoff to where a guy goes... Well, it's, it's like a Michigan, missing an action ripoff if you mix it together with, with like, over the top. Because the guy it, escaped from Vietnam, left a woman with a child. They were not allowed to have said child back, so he's going to go back into Vietnam and go get the child. And, you know... What do you expect from an Italian action film like this? A rip-off, you get blo- explosions and squibs and everything you're going to love about a movie like this. So you know what? It didn't suck, in my opinion. It just it just is, um, it's a lot of fun. So double target. Go, go check it out if you're a fan of those two directors. And I am for usually the wrong reasons, but it, it is what it is. Um, what, what else is there? I, I had a, a hankering to watch some, some biker films one day, so I watched three of them. And one of them, well, two of them were first-time watches. I watched 1990, The Bronx Warriors, because who doesn't love that kind of stuff? You know, Fred is the the king of New York, basically, doing his thing, the hammer. And Vic Morrow, dirty cop, just shooting people in the chest with, with the shotgun and just watching them explode. And biker gangs, roller skating gangs, romantic angle for no reason, just a lot of stuff blowing up again. Um... I watched the Australian, one of the Australian biker joints. I watched Stone because I'd never nice. seen it before. Yeah, it was good. You know, the the ending was really abrupt for me, but it was it was necessary. He he got in deep with those guys, and he knew what was going to happen if he, you know, found out. You know, and he found out real good. Um, yeah, that's recommended. You get great great views of the city and stuff in that movie, and I hear it's getting a Blu-ray from somewhere. So, Ooh, okay. Uh, one that I watched, um, we were going to do a commentary for, but I don't think we're going to do it now because it's, it's fun. I, I watched Sisters in Leather, which is a, a, a lesbian Ooh. biker film. And it's all about this guy who gets blackmailed by these lesbian bikers because he's sleeping with, with their underage counterpart. And mm-hmm. this is what they do is they blackmail him. So this film is rated X for all the right reasons. I mean, Mark Searing would appreciate this because... The boobs in these movies and butts are not flapjacky, as they say on, on your I mean, show. They're not. <laughs> but but the, the go, I'm sorry. We reviewed this one. I'm sorry. No, I, I think we've either done this one or something very similar because it sounds very familiar. But the ending really bothered me because you know, for, as far as my LBGT brothers and sisters go, because <laughs> he basically hires this male biker gang to get his wife back after she's been kidnapped by yep. these, these lesbians. Okay. And like the end is like, oh, they're all riding on the backs of these male bikers, and he he lets off this this schmeal about it kind of being a cautionary tale. Well, it's good to see these these young ladies have you know changed their ways and are with yeah. their their male counterparts. And I'm like, well, that's not correct. 
you know. <laughs> it's like chasing Amy. It's like, God, I right. hate that fucking movie. It's like even, <laughs> even an exploitation angle. I'm like, no, this this is not right at all, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good dick does not cure lesbianism. Sorry. <laughs> no, sorry, I've no. had it. It's not. No. <laughs> um I revisited Domino because somebody at work was talking about it, and I said, well, I haven't seen that movie since it came out. Um, Kira Knightley and Mickey Rourke and Edgar Ramirez, I think it is, is Bounty Hunters on reality TV and stuff. And it's it's a mess of a movie, but if you want to watch a film that has everybody who was the star at that time, you know, you, you can watch that. You'll see Christopher Walken and Delroy Lindo and Mina Savari and tons of people in that movie. But it is... It's a lot of quick cuts, and if you're not right with it, and it's too long, too. I think it's about 20 minutes too long. So, uh, Domino recommended a t- Tony Scott's movie, um, and not recommended at the same time. So, it might not be for you, but um, that's 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 pretty much it, uh, with the stuff that I watched. But um, tonight, I'm saying I'm again. Stop it. Stop it, podcaster. Tonight, we are here to talk about two films and a show titled... Take the money, then blood, which is which is which is appropriate for the films we're talking about. Uh, Sam Raimi's A Simple Plan, and the Coen Brothers' No Country for Old Men, which uh, has one of the best um, modern slashers of all time, in my opinion. It doesn't get enough credit for that. We'll talk about that, I'm sure. But uh, which would be the first one? Ours would be Simple Plan first. And yeah, Simple Plan, 1998. Yeah, we'll do Simple Plan first because it came first in 1998. Uh, Right to this uh, trailer. Look at all them birds. Those things are always waiting on something to die so they can eat it, right? What a weird job. That's an airplane. I wonder how long it's been here. It's probably one of those drunk doctors, you know, they're always crashing their plane, you know? Oh my God, look at this! Those are hundred dollar bills. I bet it's drug money. You know what? If this guy's a dope dealer, we're just like Robin Hood. <laughs> it's a police matter now. What do you think we should do? What if we didn't turn it in? It's stealing. It's the American dream in a gym bag. He just wants to walk away from it. You work for the American dream. You don't steal it. Then this is even better. <laughs> million dollars. Look how square it is. So somebody comes searching for the money, I'll burn it. Look, we gotta be agreed on this. Would you do the same thing? I mean, if you'd been there instead of me? I wish somebody else had found that money. Does it scare you? Yeah, it scares me. What if he tells somebody? Just stick to the story and we'll skate right through. Man from the FBI is gonna be driving through. Seems they're looking for a lost plane. I want my share. Plans to sit on the money oh, till we decide on, that it's on. safe to keep. It's like there's two sides now. We're all in this together, man. You had to pick right now. Who to be? You, you're my brother. From now on, we have to be thinking ahead all the time. There's someone who's been properly trained. There are many ways to detect a liar. You're just a normal guy, a nice, sweet, normal guy. They're gonna know. No, they won't. You think you can take us out there? Can you tell us what this is all about? Looking for a plane? I'm taking the money back right now. You gotta get out of there. Everything okay? He's gonna shoot all three of you as soon as he sees the plane. Don't move! We gotta make this look like it was an accident. They're not gonna take me away, are they? We're the ones who need that money! They just left it! Put the gun down! Take off! Well, I'm trying to come up with a plan. Don't turn your back! Take to your feel evil. A Simple Plan uh, from 1998. Um, This is directed by Sam Raimi, written by Scott B. Smith, based on his novel. Stars, uh, a lot of folks you may know, Bill Paxton as Hank. Billy Bob Thornton as his brother Jacob. uh, Bridget Fonda as Hank's wife Sarah. Brent Briscoe, I don't know. I've seen him in stuff before. He plays their friend Lou that's involved in this. Uh, Chelsea Ross, Chelsea Ross, who I know from Major League and a couple of things, as Carl the Sheriff. Uh, Becky Ann Baker, who you may know as, uh, Mrs. Weir from Freaks and Geeks. She, she plays, um, she plays Lou's wife in this movie, oh, Nancy. Yeah. Uh, Gary Cole shows up in this movie, as, uh, we'll talk about that later. That's a spoiler. Uh, you know, um, this film, your basic plot synopsis of it is... 
three blue-collar acquaintances come across millions of dollars in lost cash and make a plan to keep it keep their fine from the authorities, but it isn't long before complications and mistrust weave their way into the plan. Mike, our guest first, uh, tell us uh, what you think about the film, sir. General thoughts. I forgot how much I liked this movie. I saw it when it played theatrically way back in 98 and remember liking it, but didn't remember liking it this much until I watched it this time. And Man, it puts you on edge and makes you very uncomfortable. I was I was getting very frustrated watching these characters, but that's exactly the feeling that I was meant to feel. I kind of wish that Raimi did more of these little thriller films because, man, he knows how to handle this. And I was just in the palm of his hand the entire time. Cool, Iris. Um, this is another one I like. Like I was saying... Uh, between clips this movie is completely you know, so the guys start off and you know they have a simple plan seriously it was a simple plan everybody shuts up nobody says anything nobody comes looking for it we're home free but of course everybody said something <laughs> i mean from the very beginning oh and you know the cop shows up and billy bob's like did you tell them about the plane? Right. Hank's <laughs> look is like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> and you find out that Lou was the one that sent him to go say that. I mean, oh, wow. But, you know, throughout this whole thing, the guys, it feels to me, it feels like the guys feel like they are in control. But the one who is totally driving this is, is Sarah. Sarah's the one that says, no, we need to do this. And Sarah's the one, no, you need to do that. Don't go hang out. Go put some money back. Do this, do that. She's the one driving this whole thing. And it is her greed and her, I'd have to say her uncomfortableness of the position she has is what's driving this whole thing. And to me, I like to think if Sarah had stayed out of it, these guys would have been okay. Because first of all, you wouldn't have the first body um, and you wouldn't have had to have the need to create the second two bodies. And they could have gotten away with just leaving if they would just stuck to the plan. But <laughs> to think, and, and at the, the very ending of this, you go like, fuck. <laughs> just knowing that, you know, those, mm, the bills are marked. And I'm like, oh my God, you went through all of that. And, uh, but yeah, this, this movie, it's definitely Cherche La Femme, find the woman, because that was the cause of the complete headache that this poor guy, Hank, who at first wanted to say, let's just tell the police, we need to tell the police, got convinced, no, no, don't do that. You know, everything just fell apart for him. And I think it's, it's, to me, almost also a, a cautionary tale of do the right thing. <laughs> that reminded me a little bit of Treasure of the Sierra Madre, that whole yes. gold fever that Bogart gets. Exactly. Yeah, it just seems to come in there. And to your point, that you know, you talked to Cherche La Femme. I mean, really, she is she's the most interesting femme fatale because she's not yeah. using her feminine wiles that much, other than hey, look at me, I'm pregnant. You need to take care of me. And using mm -hmm. that as a, a leverage, as a, as a bidding chip to make her husband do these things. And yeah, you're right. She sets him on the wrong path over and over again. It's and complete it, manipulation. Yeah. And it doesn't help that Billy Bob Thornton is playing just a wonderfully inept oh. character. And, and his buddy is just as bad. And, that, you know, it's basically like, you know, they're Daryl and Daryl from mm -hmm. uh, Bob Newhart. <laughs> exactly. It's like Mutt and Jeff and yes. Hank. Yeah. <laughs> Which is another thing. I mean, we really have to say something about Billy Bob's uh, portrayal of, of Jacob, so who good. is, you know, just a little slow. He's not all there. Uh, he was obviously the older brother. Um, and Hank has this idea. And I think it's, it's kind of like his little made up world of where you know he's the he's he's the made man he is the one that went and went to school and did this and you know his stupid father lost the farm 
And then Jacob's like, how do you think we paid for you to go to school? Right. You know, and he's like, oh, at one point, you know, at that point in that discussion, you can clearly see it in his face. He's like, oh, shit. Yeah. You know, so, um, yeah, Billy Bob just just blows it out of the water here with with his character. And, and he definitely deserves kudos for it. Well, and he resents Hank so much because, yeah, they took all that money and all that effort to send him to school. And what's he doing? He's working at a feed store. Right. Exactly. He's working at a feed store. Yep. Uh, Jacob's not going to get, you know, inherit the farm like he was supposed to. Nope. And, you know, he's living in an apartment by himself. So yeah, it's the, this whole story itself. It's 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 a, it's a really well thought out, and like you said, the atmosphere that it sets up, mm. it does make you. It, the whole time I've watched this movie, and this is like maybe my third or fourth time I watched it because I really really like this movie. The whole time, every single time is like, don't fuck it up, don't fuck right. it up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Oh fuck, <laughs> you know, the whole time. So yeah, the atmosphere that Sam Raimi just puts in, it sets up in this movie. It, it's perfect. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I bag on uh, Danny Elfman all the time because so many of his scores sound so similar, mm-hmm. but this score is not like anything I'd ever heard him do before. It's just so atmospheric. And when it that is. like bing, bing, thing starts up, it's like, oh boy, something's going to happen. Right. And it's extremely organic, right? Because yes. It kind of like, it feels like heartbeat and it starts speeding up and speeding yes. up. And it sets up that anxiety type of feeling that, you, that you're supposed to have for these characters. Because you do invest yourself in them. Um, at least I find myself invested in them because I'm like, oh shit, dude, why'd you do that? Yeah. Yeah. And so... Yeah, this is this to me is a great flick. And Gary, I got to say, putting these two films together, because I mean, the Coens and Raimi, you know, they've been together from early days and they both share that dark sense of humor. You know, Mm -hmm. like you could watch Blood Simple, this, No Country. I mean, they all have that DNA, which is great that they have that absurdist touch, but super dark at the same time. Yeah, it's not like over the top, but it kind of makes you go, oh, this is really fucked up world. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because you never know what's going to happen. Like somebody could trip and fall and shoot themselves in the face. You know? Exactly, exactly. Right. You know, and there's a lot of that in the next film we're going to discuss. Yes. So what about you, Gary? Um, You mentioned Sarah, you like being like the biggest catalyst in this film. And I mean, the symbolism is, is right, right out of the gate because it starts with a fox in the hen house. Oh and yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think that's a, that's a big symbolism right there about the film and and the, the characters themselves, and especially, especially her who you want once he's the who Hank was the biggest one to say, oh we, we can't tell folks by the way but as soon as he gets home he, he dumps it on the table and, by the way look what I found you know right. and, <laughs> <laughs> what's gonna happen next of course you know like you guys said he he, he, had, all, he had all that schooling and. He's working in town as like an assistant manager at the feed store, and she she really knows the way to push his buttons because she knows he's pissed off at his shortcomings. So she says, "What are you gonna do? Wait for this guy to die so you can become the manager at the feed store?" You know, and I'll just yeah, just really really busting his onions. Like yeah, she she is one of the biggest catalysts to this film, and the other ones are kind of too I don't want to say dumb, but simple. You know, to 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 yeah. to do for their own good, especially the brother who. You don't quite know what happened there. Why he is the way he is, and I like it like that. He's he's like the the, the guy that stayed in town while his brother went on to supposedly bigger and better things, and the, just the scene alone where he's he gets the plan to, to to buy the farm back, and he's at at the farm, you know, just getting all the snow off the porch and try trying to to fix it up with whatever he can do, and and it's tragic in a way, in a lot oh, yeah. of ways, and because he he wants it to be. Uh, Brother tells me he can't have it, and as I said, he he goes in a little schmeal about how, how his college is paid for, and um, yeah, I love Chelsea Ross in this movie. I mean, he I I only know him as as you know Eddie Harris from Major League and like one other thing, but it was nice seeing the player much more you know reserved and like like almost like because uh, he he's pretty smart copper for a small town you know sheriff and yeah he kind of like March Gunderson <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> And 
Yeah, he's great. I mean, the, the, the whole atmosphere is there, like I said, with, with, with the... I, I didn't even know it was Danny Elfman's score. Because you wouldn't know it. Yeah, the, right. the, no, way, the way it plays. And I, I, that is a big strength of the film. And I, I'll take that. This is probably... I, I love I love Evil Dead and everything, but this is probably my second favorite Raimi film behind behind The Quick and the Dead because that is his deepest cast I think is The Quick and the Dead. Um, I mean, who doesn't love a female gunslinger? Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you got and, R- Roberts Blossom oh, and, Wo- and Woody oh. Strode's in that movie. There's a lot of people in that mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, this one though, you know, when we get down to the the, the killing of you know, because they. Yeah, take the money, then blood at the tail of the show. It starts about twenty five minutes in, or, or like thirty five minutes in, and it's not who you think it is because the brother, you know, they they they're gonna go put the money, like five hundred thousand dollars, back at the plane where they found it. I guess in case somebody comes back, and again, the wife's plan. If she goes very very poorly, a guy walks, it pulls up in a snowblower. Brother hits him over the head with a tire iron because he, he's paranoid and. They think he's dead, but he's not dead. You know, because he, he tried to do the, he tried to do the CPRs on him. I think he said something like that. Right, right. <laughs> just smack at his chest, and of course he's not. But that that won't do because he says that your brother hit me, and that, that there's a witness, and he's got to go. What does what does Bill Paxton do? The 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 nice reserved guy. He suffocates the old man in the snow, and you don't see that coming right away for him being you know the guy that would kill somebody and. That's that. That was a pretty big deal for me because I haven't watched this since probably like when it came out on VHS or something like long ago, and I was like, I forgot about that, and it was a nice surprise. And then it gets bloodier from there because you know jealousy and paranoia and desperation all come into play in this movie. And you know, poor people. Like, you know, I mean, it plays today. If people don't have any money. I keep waiting for the bomb to fall out. I don't want to go political, but. There's going to be a rising up of 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 uh, the the, the poverty stricken people, and they're going to take some shit. And these people didn't have a whole lot, a whole lot of money, especially even Hank, because uh, the wife keeps bringing that shit up. By the way, your child's going to play with used toys and wear used clothes because you can't stop working at that feed store. It's like, ooh, you know, <laughs> just bust his ball some more, and that's that's there, and. The end of this film is—I don't want to give it away—but it's, it's very, it's very tragic what happens to 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 um to uh to Jacob, you know, because he makes a decision in this movie, and it, it kind of reminds me of The Mist, you know, we find out about the Mark Bills in, in a way, because in The Mist, if you have seen The Mist, he he kills everybody in the car, leaves himself alive, and there's the government taking care of all these cryptids <laughs> and in Lovecraft creatures, you know. Yeah. It was all for nothing. His brother okay. does what he, his brother does what he does, and it's all for nothing. And you know, I'm like, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mike. I was just gonna say that part reminded me a lot of uh, of mice and men. That, you know, yeah, Lenny just... and George, Lenny and two Georges. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Yep. Yeah, that was uh, man. That that was heartbreaking. I mean, this was maybe only the second time that I saw Billy Bob, maybe third, I guess, because I remember he was in Armageddon somewhere around there too. But I mean, after seeing Sling Blade, I was like, yes, whatever this guy is in, I'm ready mm-hmm. for. And this is another just standout performance. The way that he pulls this off is just terrific. And then Bill Paxson, my heart was breaking watching this movie the other day, just remembering how great Bill Paxton was. Yeah. And that he's was taken from us way too soon. The guy was just amazing. Could play anything, comedy, yep. tragedy, horror, whatever it was. He was right there for it. And in this, your heart just goes out to him the whole time. And especially as those walls are just caving in on him. Hmm. You're like, a lot of this is your fault. But at the same time, I'm still really rooting for you. I don't ever turn against him the entire time. Very true. Um, Iris, anything else like to say about the movie? And what do you give one in ten? Um, I'm gonna give this a nine because, like I said, I've every time I watch this movie, I sit down, I enjoy it, I see or gather maybe just a little bit more here and there. I get more invested in the characters, and you know, it's just it's well played, atmospheric, and it you know it grabs you by the balls basically is what it does. So I'm gonna give this a nine. Mike. Yeah, I would uh, follow 
with what Iris said. I mean, I think a, a nine is not overpraising this movie. And yeah, I just wish that there were more of these smaller films that uh, Raimi uh, had done and would do because yeah, we've got the the big movies that he did. I was very happy when he was able to do the um, the Spider-Man films a few years after this, but the smaller films that he was able to do between like the evil dead and uh, you know, dark man and some of these bigger movies. I just, I love these little stories that he tells. I mean, please give us another drag me to hell I consider that a small movie, the gift, some of these, like, let's do it. Let's see some more Raimi. I, I want that guy in the director's chair more. That's probably my number three Raimi film will be drag me to hell. Cause it's a nice, nice mixture of comedy and horror that I get in the evil dead films, but you, you could laugh at it a little bit more in the drag me yeah. to hell. The, the Looney Tunes uh, car fight, for one thing. <laughs> I laugh every time it happens, yeah. Oh, so good. Um, I didn't mention Gary Cole as a role in this film, but he comes to play, of course, when Sarah tries to justify stealing the money by saying, hey, these guys took this as ransom for this heiress, or possibly, and when you find out what you find out in the end of the film, because Gary Cole shows up as an FBI agent, you know, and supposedly i'm not going to say who he is in the movie but he he's he's not a good man and the little bit you get of him in the movie he's i never seen him so thin he looks very thin in this movie and it's pretty great everybody plays the role pretty well in this movie and i I'll, i will go with that nine and uh i'm gonna stick with it and tell y'all check it out if y'all haven't checked it out yet but uh next up we're gonna talk about um uh a classic just just because this one i think and 2002 Iris, is that correct? 2007. 2007's No Country for Old Men. Right after this. Let me ask you something. What's the most you ever lost in a coin toss? Look, I need to know what I stand to win. Everything. Just call it Friendo. in the satchel. It's a bowl of money. He's just a guy who happened to find that money. I got a bad feeling, Llewellyn. It's a mess, ain't it, Sheriff? If it ain't, it'll do till the mess gets here. I'm looking for Llewellyn Moss. You go up to his trailer? Yes. Do you want to leave a message? Yes. I don't come back and tell mother I love her. Your mother's dead. Well, then I'll tell her myself. Got a loose cannon here. You think this boy Moss has got any notion of the sorts dead or hunting him? I don't know. He ought to. He's seen the same things I've seen, and it certainly made an impression on me. Just how dangerous is it? Compared to what? The bubonic plague? The crime you see now, it's hard to even take its measure. It's just all out war. You can't stop what's coming. What's this guy supposed to be, the ultimate badass? You don't understand. Country for Old Men from 2007. Uh, your cheaper plot synopsis is this. Violence and mayhem ensue after a hunter stumbles upon a drug deal gone wrong and more than $2 million in cash near the Rio Grande. That's kind of cheap, but you know, whatever, IMDb. Uh, <laughs> written and directed by Ethan and Joel Cohen. Um, stars Tommy Lee Jones as your sheriff, Ed, Ed, Ed Tom Bell. Uh, Javier Bardem, and oh boy, he is starring in this movie as Ant Anton Chigurh. Uh, Josh Brolin as Lewin Moss, Woody Harrelson as Carson Wells. Uh, 
the master of many accents, Kelly McDonald, S. Carla Jean Moss. Gosh, she's done so many of them. Um, my, my favorite MVP, Garrett Dillahunt in this movie is Wendell. <laughs> I, I love that actor so much. Tess Harper is Loretta Bell. Uh, Stephen Root shows up in this movie as the man who hires Wells. Beth Grant shows up as Carla Jean's mother, who I, I got to mention every time she's in something because I think she's she's wonderful and just just a, a heel and crappy every time in a wonderful way. Oh, <laughs> she's so good. Well, we'll uh, I'll start with Mike this time around. Mike, uh, No Country for Old Men. Uh, tell us all about it, sir. Oh wow. Um, you know, I have to tell you that the first time I saw this movie, I liked a lot of it, but I was so mad about Llewellyn's death and that we don't see it. And I was also so confused about when the sheriff goes to the hotel and you get that shot of Shigura. And I'm just like, is that now? Is he there? What's going to happen? And it doesn't resolve. And then the way the movie ends so abruptly, I was pissed. But going back and rewatching it, we actually just covered the counselor on uh, the projection booth and that being a uh, Carson um, uh, Cormac McCarthy adaptation. And this being a Cormac McCarthy adaptation, I watched this uh, and right before you asked me to be on the show. So good, good call on that. And uh, yeah, I have to say reevaluating it the second time I definitely liked it a lot more I was more into the rhythm of it and man what got me this time more than anything is that Coen Brothers dialogue and just how much I love that you know the whole thing of where'd you get it at the getting place I love it <laughs> Irish Very much so. um well just just you know the the whole thing itself again another movie I've seen several times um so many characters and they all really stand out but they all have their own strengths right you've got Carla Jean who just all she does is ask questions god Mm -hmm. damn (laughs) (laughs) right what you doing are you hurt you know it's it's just like and then her final dialogue in the movie Mm -hmm. very poignant I mean, it's, you know, the, the typical, well, you don't have to do this. And he's like, yeah, everybody says that. But I love how she does not play his game. Right. She yeah. just not, because she is resolved. She knows either way, she's done. She's completely done. And she has nothing else to live for. Her husband's gone. Her mom's gone. She's got all of these bills to pay and the money's gone too. So what does she have? Every reason she had for living is gone so I, it's kind of like she gave up too and she's like no i ain't playing your fucking game just just get it over with is basically what she was telling him and, and and that's you know that's what she was doing um you've got the sheriff sheriff bell um i his character in the whole thing it's kind of like he's just writing out he's he's it always seems like he's three steps behind right and every time he gets there it's either just too late or he's done but within himself he had been done and he didn't want to be like his dad or his uncle or you know even um you know corbin alice or or, you know barry corbin's character alice you know shot and in a wheelchair it's like no i have got way too much to live for even though at the end you see that he's completely fucking bored and doesn't even know what to do with himself all those fucking cats in that place <laughs> can you imagine how bad that place must Ooh. smell the, the way oh, you describe the cats i love those like are these, all these cats yours well some of them are and some of them are more like outlaws or something like that he says you know <laughs> <laughs> but you know he he knew he, he that's not what he wanted for himself so he knew he was going to cut it and and ellis is like so you're giving up and he's like i ain't giving up i just don't want to call it quits and um and of course, you know, you've got Llewellyn Moss, who felt like he had stumbled onto the lucky, you know, he felt lucky for a very long time. And as the story progresses, it, it becomes kind of like a little comedy of errors almost. And, you know, the Coen brothers are very good at setting that up. You know, first it's to stumble upon this and you stumble upon that. He goes back to give the guy water 
and that's where it all falls apart for him so it's like you know the the saying all good deeds <laughs> right you know you gotta def- he, he's trying to fix the the his conscience of man i can't leave that guy out there i took his money i can't do that to him it's almost like an integrity thing. He, he, he yeah, it's an he, integrity thing. And it's kind of like trying to make up for the sins that he's already committed. Mm-hmm. Even right? in the end, you, you talked about the scene with his wife and, and Anton. Exactly. He, he, he says, you know, but why do this? Because I said I was going to do this. You know, I have integrity. Yeah. As as a cold-blooded murderer, he has integrity. You know, he says he's going to do something. He's going to do it, you know. Exactly. So this, this whole thing has this this beautiful, even though all these characters are... They're extremely fucked up. They all have kind of like this moral compass, a little twisted, but the, you know, they have their ethics, they have their morals, they have their values, and they will fulfill their life with those values and morals. And what's, you know, I, I'll admit this when I was a kid, I used to fantasize about being a hitman. <laughs> I used to, because I thought it was just like the coolest thing, because, you know, you were very separated and you were just that good at something and i guess maybe i never put it together like you are killing people well <laughs> you know but um, sometimes, have a skill yeah. yeah you know but it's it's just like that awesome skill and sometimes i fantasize about being a hitman still hmm. but um but no it, it's just this this very interesting tale and you have all these little short stories that all come together and all these people that come together to this one catalyst which is cigar and it it all stumbles from there i mean anybody that meets up with this guy has a 50 50 chance of living so um yeah this movie to me has always been something that i've you know it's it's very good and you know Colin mccarthy uh, he's just an amazing author he has another book called blood meridian it's a western and talk about gritty bloody mess you know and, and that's how this guy writes so for the Coen brothers to be able to put that on the screen, it's really good. Because to me, it's kind of like a modern grindhouse type of movie. It's gritty. It's icky, um, bloody. There's a lot of, you know, well, are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? It's, it's just really, really good. And it's in your face again. Excellent flick. What about you, Gare? Oh, I dig this film quite a bit. I, I liked it ever since, you know, I seen it the first time. Watched it many times since. Um, like the characters play so well. Like some of them are, are good. Some look at the the integrity's there. And um, this guy that, that comes out of nowhere, this this Javier Javier Bardem's character a- Anton. I mentioned you know before we started reviewing these films that he's one of the best you know slashers in the past thirty years and. People don't want to believe. People don't want to believe they watched the film one time and look look at the way he actually, the way he he carries himself, and the way he calculates with his next move, and the way he's cold, you know, doing certain things. But there's a conscience there at the same time. He gives the old man at the store a chance to to to, to live because he, he he's gonna kill any witness that that that, that is there, obviously. But he gives him a chance because he seems like a nice guy who you know whatever, and. But there are scenes in this film, and if you guys don't know, his weapon of choice is as um is the, the the air gun they use to kill cattle with, you know, hit them in the brain and they they, they fall over real fine. See see Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know that gun ain't no good, y'all. You know, um, <laughs> <laughs> Grandpa was a one hit killer. Yep. Uh, <laughs> hit the sledge. Yes, indeed. But. The, everything about him, yeah, you know, puts him. I, I I'd say in in the top top ten slashers of all time, in my opinion. And not, nothing's there. He's got he's got a blank stare. You know, there's not really a time where you see anger on oh. his face, but you know he's he's just full of rage because mm-hmm. he's. I guess he's the guy that you would call if something like this happened, where where, where money the money would come up, you know, stolen. This is the guy you would call to go find him because he's given the tracker. <clears throat> which is in the, the the money case that Lewin has, which he finds out, you know, when he's in the hotel room waiting to be pursued. And he's like, oh, what's this flashing thing? Oh, I've been right. being tracked this whole time. And um, right. his other weapon of choice is a, is, a, is a shotgun with, I don't even know what kind of it's attachment. A, 
Beautiful, beautiful silencer. Does it, does it scatter the bullets like that, though? Did, 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 or no? No, no it, it doesn't scatter bullets. Basically what it is, it's just a silencer. So what it's going to do, the muzzle flash is dampened. So therefore the noise is dampened. But because it's, uh, it'll, you know how something, like when you're, you've got water running. And, you know, if, if you've got a big hose, it, it runs. But the smaller the hose, the faster and harder the water's going to go. So basically what you're doing is you're taking a barrel for a double op buck and turning it into a 22. Yeah. Maximum so damage. Maximum damage. So instead of a scatter pattern, you've got all of that double buck going in a single line. Ah. Yeah. So it's devastating, man. It's just fucking devastating. I mean, the, the part where, where Lewin gets in that poor poor guy's truck and says, just take off. Don't ask any questions. Oh, my God. That, that guy gets shot in the neck. And you just oh. see the, oh. the, 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 all out of his neck and yell, oh, my God. Yeah. That was wicked. That was really wicked. For, from from a distance. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. Go for it. Go for it. Somebody made a point that uh, that raising Arizona and – no Country for Old Men are very similar in that whole Warthog from Hell, Lenny Smalls character is very Anton Chigurh, but, you know, so many years before, just that unstoppable killer trying to get the Arizona baby back from high and dot. And I can't see, can't not see that now. And when um, Llewellyn gets in that truck and it basically does that line that High did uh, all those years ago, just drive, you know, <laughs> I was waiting for him to turn and say, boy, you got a panty on your head. <laughs> well, the way that he gets shot in the neck. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> The way they talk, the, the way they talk about the character, I think it's I forget if it's Woody Harrelson's character or Tommy Lee Jones' character about him being a ghost. Like he may, may don't even know if he exists or not. Though with the way he oh, yeah. he pursues people and he he disappears, even in the end of the movie, you know where he's he's one really. Although I don't know, I'm not sure because they they really leave it open ended to where they're having the conversation him and Lewin's wife and she's going toe to toe with him basically, but. They show the front part of the house, but you don't hear a shotgun at all. Right. You know, so did, did he just walk away from that? Or what? What could she refuse to, to answer, you know, his you flip a coin, the heads or tails, she refused to do it. But when he gets hit and he, you know, buys the kid's shirt for a sling and he walks away, you, you have to assume that he's going to live to to kill another day. Oh, and, yeah. For, oh, for somebody else entirely. So the whole idea of the ghost thing, and they described the Leonard Smalls character, well, Hyde did anyway, as some dream that he had dreamed up that came into flesh and right. with hilarious results, of course. Um, I, I, I like the idea of him being some kind of phantom, but he's not really a phantom. He's just this, <laughs> this cold, calculating dude who oh. goes in, does his job, emotion, um, emotionless, you know, the whole oh. time. Go on, Mike, My I'm favorite sorry. killing is when the I think it's his first kill when he's in the police station and oh, just slips yeah. those handcuffs under his legs and comes up and murders that sheriff's deputy. And just that look on his face while the he's squeezing the life out of that deputy. Oh man, what it's complete an glee, isn't oh, it? He's God. like, yeah, yeah. and this the feels noise good. of the the shoes scraping against mm -hmm. the linoleum, and see, oh. not only that, but you come and, and you see all those scuff marks when he yes. comes out. And what's nice with this is it took almost two minutes, right? So it's oh, not yeah. that Hollywood. I'm gonna, you know, thirty seconds right. and you're dead. No, it took a while. Oh, yeah. So it, it, you know, it's all very, very powerful. And it gives you a sense of you know, this guy is fucking around. Yeah. <laughs> right? And I love that Woody Harrelson is one of the few people that have ever seen him and lived, though not for much longer. <laughs> right. And when I think Stephen Root asked him, like, is he bad? He's like, what, as, as opposed to the bubonic plague? That's <laughs> <laughs> <It's> right. <laughs> And man, Harrelson, I love Woody Harrelson. And I mean, I grew up watching the guy on Cheers and just right. seeing the roles that he's played since then. My biggest regret with this movie is that he didn't become a regular 
Coen Brothers player because it's like, use this guy. He can do whatever you want. He's like Bill Paxson yep. when I was talking about a simple plan. You can do your comedy, your action. He can be very, very menacing. Yeah, this guy is is terrific. Someday people are going to realize just how great Woody Harrelson is. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I mean, and his character in this at all, it also is, he's kind of interesting because he's, you know, he, he's just like that cool, calm dude, like, dude, you know, just bring me the money. Yeah. He'll come get you. It's Give me the not money, Lebowski. Well. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and another character who knew live by the sword, you die by the sword, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, uh, he knew his number was up, and I, I think there's some some parts of the town that's almost comical. The, the beginning part you talked about with him killing the deputy, there's the you see like right way in the back exactly what he's doing. Yeah. He's, he's putting his feet like below the handcuffs. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, you think he got me, but you don't, motherfucker. So I'm gonna do this very slowly and very to say, you know what, this this is not even an issue for me. He chokes him the fuck out. He gets talked about, but the scene where where Woody gets his. He's walking up behind him at the same pace on the staircase. And he knows, he kind of knows in a way that, yeah, he's behind me. You know, I had, I had to go sometime and yeah, it's, 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 it's almost comical. Like I said, that's, that's the slasher vibe that I get from Anton every time I watch this movie. Cause they all have it. They all have that, that confidence, that, that swagger and he's got it in spades because he doesn't need to, to 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 laugh and cackle like Freddy Krueger. He he doesn't need you know to to you know tilt his head like Michael Myers. Mm-hmm. He just he, he has dialogue, but at the same time, there's there's no emotion there in this dialogue. We're, we're to the point of where you have to turn the I had to turn the subtitles on just to catch all the little little things he was saying because he's so soft spoken, but at the same time so cold and menacing. And um, love it so much. When I was doing my research on the counselor. I was reading. Um, a lot of articles about no country for old men and there was something about how um, I can't remember if it was not the ADA because that's medical but basically like the council of uh, psychiatrists and it's like the most perfect uh, portrayal of uh, of a psychopath is Anton Chigurh in films like that is he is the textbook definition of a psychopath yeah there's just there's nothing there it's kind of oh like- yeah blank yeah he you know to your point gary he's very um if you were to to draw a dotted line he's jason you know he's just that much of a blank canvas yeah like jason with occasional dialogue (laughs) jason spoke (laughs) right but my god that look that he gives the guy uh the, the whole coin toss thing at the gas station that little look that he gives him is so fucking funny I just love that. And then that whole thing about like, don't put it in your pocket. <laughs> because it'll just be a going. This Which is your lucky coin. <laughs> Which it is. <laughs> that, that, that poor guy out there is like. Oh, uh, so confused. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> just leave so I can close. Yeah, when right. close when it's dark. <laughs> right. It's not dark yet. <laughs> <laughs> just fucking with that guy. Oh man. And I love when he does those things like uh uh it sets the car to explode so that he can walk right. into the store and just take whatever he needs to do his uh repairs and yeah, he is. I mean, he, he kind of reminds me of the Terminator too, like that scene yeah. where uh, oh, yeah. Arnold is cutting away the the stuff to repair his eye. You know, Shiger is basically doing the same thing, and I love the that you get those parallel actions of uh, Llewellyn doing his re- home repairs on himself, and then you've got Shiger doing his, and it's just like, okay, you know, no matter what you do, Sugar's Sh- going to be right there behind you. Mm-hmm he's going to be that shadow coming up behind you. Like he came up behind Woody Harrelson and you're never going to know when he's going to strike. And then he gets, right. fo- he gets foiled by somebody else. You would not believe entirely, you know, would, would do it. The, the, the other, the other half of this equation that you don't see mm-hmm. and that gets <laughs> poor Beth Grant, you know, I'm going to El Paso. Again, a woman, right? A I'm going to El, yeah. I'm going to El Paso, God. Texas. You know yeah. folks that on El Paso, Texas? Zero, you know. It's just, <laughs> oh, and where will you be staying? Oh, at you know. I was like, oh no. So funny. She's so, uh, she's so good. I've she's never so seen good a everything. Mexican in a suit. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Oh uh, my god, I was like, mm, okay, that Mexican in the suit. Oh, uh-huh. that just gives it all away, doesn't it? <laughs> my favorite. The thing I like about the Coen brothers too is they're always so peculiar when it comes to their uh setting things in a very specific age like um you know the big lebowski is like what 1989 you know it's Mm -hmm. like a time capsule of 1989 and this one i think is 1982 right so it's just like so shigur's haircut actually isn't strange for 1982 you know (laughs) it's like that adam rich type style that you got going like yeah, yeah, it, it's just amazing. I love how they like will pick out those little things and be like, okay, yeah, this is 1982. We're setting this here. It's like, okay, great. Uh, I mean, I understand that the book was set in that time, but they're going to be very, you know, straightforward. And this is what we're doing. We're setting it at this particular place. All right, great. And it also helps too when it comes to where are we at with the drug trade and the war on drugs and things and, you know, setting all that stuff up. The, um, Again, with the um, uh, Tommy Lee Jones character and the Garrett Dill, uh, Dillahunt character, you know, I mentioned Marge Gunderson. It kind of reminded me of that when they go through that crime scene and they're pointing out like, okay, well, these two fellows came at this point and these guys were here then. But you're right. They're much farther behind Marge. Like she was on top of things a lot more than Tommy Lee Jones. It feels like, you know, like the title this is no longer a young man's game. He is, he cannot keep up with this new wave of crime. He would never be able to keep up with all the stuff that's going to be going on in Juarez and, you know, all the drug raids and all this kind of stuff that we're going to see throughout the eighties. Yeah. He, he did not want to be another number. Mm-mm. Yeah. Just one more casualty from this, this war that he sees coming. He sees oh, yeah. it coming. And I, I think that's that's why he bowed out. He's like, I'm done. Yeah, I think this that's why he had that dream about his dad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, and another interesting one, um, time-wise, timescape, the conversation he has with the, ter- the, the I guess it was the ranger mm. in uh, the Texas Ranger there in El Paso. It's like, who'd have thought, you know, the green hair and bone sticking through right. <laughs> <laughs> like that. like well that's called the punk era yes yeah you know so you you can clearly tell the 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 delineation of the the old school versus what's coming and the old school just doesn't know how to handle it they have no idea because the line you know back then it was very clear the guys in the white hats were the good guys and the guys in the black hats were the good guys there was no gray right but now you've got suits that are mixed up with the guys in in the black hats and the guys in the white hats and sometimes they work for both yeah so yeah you know (laughs) there was no and we're already embroiled in around contra one at this point you know who's the oldest man that we've got it's president reagan right there yeah (laughs) yeah so you know that there was there's like they they didn't know who the characters were or what team they were on so they're like exactly. yeah we're i'm done yeah i mean i i have nothing else to say right this second shot but i kick it to iris and um anything she anything else she'd like to say about the film and what did she give a one to ten okay well um yeah i've broken record but I, i'm also going to give this a nine uh this is clearly a very well thought out movie the action is spot on you have multiple characters that have their own storyline but it all fits in they're like little cogs and that all you know all the teeth just grab each other and this beautiful machination of a story that comes out and you know the coen brothers i mean they're the coen brothers right this is what you expect from them so i'm gonna give this a nine great mike i'm gonna be slightly contrary and give it an eight just because this is only my second time seeing it. And I think I need to warm up to it a little bit more. I'm standing firm on some of the, the other Coen brothers movies that didn't hit me right the first time, like intolerable cruelty. I don't know if I'm going to be going back and reevaluating that one anytime soon, but I'm glad that I checked out no country for old men again. And yeah, these performances. And like you were saying, Iris, that all of these pieces fitting together, like a, like a Swiss watch, yeah uh, it's terrific 
I forget to mention, you know, through this review, you know, one of my favorite things besides, you know, all the, the bloodshed and the, the great villain you have and the, the great, you know, heroes that you have in this movie that is uh, the little conversations that happen within the dialogue. And I, I, I really appreciate those. I, I always appreciate seeing Steve, Steven Root in anything. You can, you can put him in anything, oh, yeah. I, I don't watch it. And, um, well, he just showed up in your uh, book of Boba Fett. Too. Yeah, for 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 a hot second. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I think he'll be back. Oh yeah, um, it it is a nine as well. I mean, it's it's not perfect. People say it ends abruptly, but it's in the title. No country for old men. At the end, our sheriff retires, and he's having he's having what a bored retired person would have at his age. A conversation with his wife, who's still very much working. And she says, he goes, maybe I'll go riding today. You want to go riding together? She goes, well, I didn't retire. You did. You know, and <laughs> it's it's really simple stuff. And you, you, you kind of think that he's at peace, but at the same time, bored out of his fucking mind. So it's kind of really a double-edged sword there. And I don't think that it ends abruptly. I mean, it, it's just kind of there. And uh, Anton li- lives to kill another day, possibly, with the with the... One of my favorite lines of the whole movie where he's sitting on the, the stoop. I mean, sitting on the, the curb and the one boy says, because his, his arm is like inverted from the accident. It's like, you got a bone sticking out of your arm, you know? Oh. And they keep saying that. It, it's nothing to him. This pain is nothing to him, especially in the scene, that scene, and the scene where he's mending himself, just spraying oh. that shit on that open wound. out, like, oh. And not twitch at all, you know? No. <laughs> But you yeah, see, one of sorry. those kids is Caleb Landry Jones. I thought so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was just like, wait, that that kid looks familiar. <laughs> He's in three billboards, isn't that right? Yeah, yeah. Get out and well, one of the X Men movies, if memory serves. Yeah, and yeah. he was um, the guy. I think he was the guy from oh, what was that one that uh, Brandon Cronenberg directed? Oh. Uh, where where you could basically like eat celebrities they would like grow things out of their cells so you could be that close to celebrities antiviral there you go yeah but yeah great great film if you haven't seen it um again my in my top 10 favorite slasher killers of all time is anti shigura anti shigura you should check it out if you haven't checked it out and tell me if you agree or disagree because a lot of folks out there who could you know what's horror is very subjective is he considered a slasher I think he is, because he has all the qualities and then some of a slasher. And uh, that's about it for this one. We'll uh, come back and close out the show. Hi, I'm John Water. Yeah, hi, this is Dolph Lundgren. Hi, I'm Lance Henriksen. Hi, this is Keith Gordon. Robert Kuhn. Miguel Ferrer. Nancy Allen. Robert Davi. Richard Elfman. Ileana Douglas. Patrick Warburton. Dwayne Hauser. Cliff DeYoung. Steve Railsback. Mr. D. William Cass. If you haven't been listening to the Projection Booth podcast, you're missing out. Each week, the Projection Booth brings you in-depth discussions of some of the most interesting movies ever made. I'm Mike White. No, the other one. I'm the guy who wrote the film fanzine Cashiers to Cinemart since 1994. Since early 2011, I've been co-hosting the Projection Booth podcast. Try us, won't you? I never try anything. I just do it. Visit the Projection Booth at projection-booth.com. Uh, first up, I'd like to thank our guest, um, my man, my mentor. Hey, I, I was I was coming out of it all this time. When I first started this, this thing almost nine years ago, he was one of the ones that taught me some ropes and he he gave me a, he gave me a book on on how to be a better podcaster and I, I i had that i know that i lost that with my last computer in the fire so i'm at to ask for that again to just oh, so i can look it over again over yeah. and um probably yeah. need to update that it's been a little while hey it's it's more than helpful <laughs> still and people need to read that one of these days you should you should distribute that publicly mike and um so yeah i was i was credit you for that you do put putting me on the right path for her and uh you and uh, Iris is Mike, Mr. Mike Murphy. Yes. Yes. So all thank you. Yeah, all the mics. So thank you for coming on the show, and thank you for that. So uh, one more time, tell the folks where they can find you, man. You can always find me at projectionboothpodcast.com and listen every week and sometimes maybe even twice. So and I just started a new venture, uh, one called The Shabby Detective, where we're going to be talking about Lieutenant Columbo once a month. So very excited about that. Ooh. Yeah, oh, aren't you Just on one more thing, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> aren't you one on like a... to keep me away from my wife? I guess. So. 
You're on nah, some other okay. projects too, aren't you? That you don't produce, like uh, there's like a Rankin Bass, Rankin Bass thing I should yep. be listening to, and um, Rankin on Bass. There's the uh, Life and Times of Captain Barney Miller. Uh, we did the the Kolchak tapes a few years ago, and then there's one called Dreams for Sale, where we talk about Twilight Zone 1985, and that'll be wrapping up, and then we'll be doing one about Night Gallery. So that should oh, be coming cool. sometime later in 2022. Nice. I listened Damn. to a couple of those. So I had to bring them up, Mike. I'm sorry. You know, that, that's, uh... oh, that's fine. More <laughs> opportunity to plug. That's good. Appreciate it. Iris, what's coming up on the BBNBC? Well, uh, what's coming up is a little hiatus. We're going to take a little break. But um, uh, this Sunday, this last Sunday, we had Let's Go Snorkeling, <laughs> which is basically our episode on uh, Hell Up in Harlem. You know, what people like to call black caesar part two but we're like oh not really <laughs> but you know the only reason why these the the movie is is kind of like related to it is because it starts off where black caesar ended kind of you know so uh yeah that's ours and that's basic besides that it's just this right now so go check us out on exploitationfilm.com and I'm blessed to have you, Iris, trust me. I don't say that enough. You know this, though. Oh, sweetie. It's fun to be here. Um, this show and all the other shows that I, I do, you can find the Cinema Bee feed on your uh, local podcatcher, if you will. Uh, please go rate and review those shows, that show and um, all the Great Legion shows on Alpha Podcast. It helps us get pushed up the, the ranks there and whatnot. Uh, Legion Patreon is a thing. I think we're, we've got like 50 members strong or something. Ooh, uh, cool. Bonus content there from not this show yet. We'll, we'll, we'll work on that. Um, Last Call of Torch has bonus stuff on there. You can find Blood from the Core, which is a show that I do with Derek Bourgeois um, exclusively on there. And um, I just did a guest spot for Friday Nightmares. We talked about our top five, I, I guess, ba- you know, bad movies that you love. I mean, I, I made a list of like 60. I had to narrow it down to five. It was really hard, you know, just to, and I think I was resisting the, those those 60 choices. I, was, I could have added more because there's so many films I love like that. So I, I was the right guy to talk about that conversation with, and I was excited to do it. And Heather and Scott are the, the darlings of the, the Legion Podcast Network. You know, they're, they're so young compared to myself and Iris. And it, it, it's, <laughs> yeah, we're the grandpappies. Well, <laughs> someday my body does feel that way, but I, 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 I'm I'm only 40 years of age so far. But I think, in, oh, in, honey, I got you by 13, sweetie. I think in la- <laughs> I think in in laborers' years, I think I'm about 25 years past that. My my knees tell me every day. Um, but uh, that's better for this one. Thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for your support. Next show, um, you should be hearing. Which hopefully it happens before the end of the month. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see how we're scheduled that and we're how 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 hard I can work Iris here. If she if she if she, if she <laughs> wants to work, we'll do the show. Let's put it that way. Let's do it. Let's um, do it. Two um, like redemption films of the snow. Like I don't know what you would call them, but they kind of go together. So we're gonna do them. Uh, the Great Silence, which is um, a western film for, from Italy, starring Klaus Kinski, and uh, what's it called? Oh, it's an Asian film. I'll put it in the group, <laughs> but it's, it's 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 a samurai take on on um that that same kind of story. And I'm uh, I'll look it up and tell Mike where it is when this is all over because I, I I took on my phone. I don't want to do that right this second. Not mute samurai. That was a TV series. Oh, okay. So I'm, I'm not sure what that one. Go, um, go, Goyoko. Hmm. That's what the movie's called. There we go. Okay. Nice. Right, I cool. I had to go. I had to go beg my friend for a copy of it because I couldn't find it streaming anywhere. <laughs> But um, yeah, that, that's your next show, and I'm looking forward to doing that. Uh, some 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 vengeance in the snow there, and um, that's it for this one. Thank you all for listening. Uh, this has been your Cinevive podcast, where if you've got beef, we've got the grinder. See you next time. <laughs>